0: Yes, yes. Welcome into to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the homelonexpert.com studios. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside producer Kenneth Iggy Strode. Welcome in to Questions from the Audience. You're always welcome to submit your questions by email, t McKernan at insidestl.com, or you can send them on the TMA fa- fan page on Facebook, TMA fan page on Facebook. Join in. I mean, it's certainly about the show, probably you know, 30%, but then the other 70% is just random nitwittery. And, uh, it's good entertainment, even if you're not a TMA listener and you just listen to the podcast. So it's the TMA fan page on Facebook. Submit questions or email me there. Uh, team Kernan at insidestl.com or in the home loan expert.com studios, Ryan Kelly, uh, our sponsor of the studios and Ryan Kelly can help you get out of credit card debt. $16,000 is the number $16,000 is the average credit card debt for an American household right now. And yeah, normally the system's kind of set up so you can't get out of it. Even if you say, okay, I'm going to make sure we pay this much, this much. We well, still have the interest rates. And so it still makes it very difficult to get out of it. Well, right now with home values as high as they are and with interest rates as low as they are, it is an opportunity for a cash out refi, which allows you to take that money, pay off your credit card debt, and then have a lower interest rate. That is the play. Do not get down on yourself about the credit card debt. Unfortunately, it's standard, and it's $16,000 is the average. So take care of it. The system is set up to put it to you. Get ahead of it and get the cash and get rid of the credit card debt. Do so by going to thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsors here on the Tim McKernan Show. Uh, we are in the studios, and we are taking your questions, and uh, we are I think we're always grateful for the questions we get. I enjoy them. I just kind of wax poetic on things. Uh, and, uh, and, and, I, I, I guess people like it. I honestly, I sit here and I do this each week and I'm like, God, it's just me in the home loan studios, just kind of babbling on. But then I look at the downloads and, and I guess people are listening. So instinctually I'm like, is this really something that people want to listen to? And then I see the numbers and I guess they do. So I'm happy to do it. I, I legitimately enjoy doing it, I just, I'm sitting here, Iggy Iggy gets up and he goes to do some TMA producing responsibility. So I'm literally sitting in the studio by myself, just talking. And to me, it seems incredibly, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but it's just not something I would think people want to listen to. Uh, but if you do, I'm glad you do. And I guess based on how long we've been doing it, you do. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly grateful and I'm grateful that Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies sponsors it. Uh, and, uh, because, you know, without our sponsors the, the podcast doesn't exist and we're, we're getting close here now to, uh, to a year, I guess we're, uh, at 10 months of the podcast and, uh, and without Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com without James Carlton, a state farm insurance agent, and without Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. And of course, Mark Hanna, who presents our guests and uh, questions from the audience, uh, we wouldn't have it. And so, uh, I am very grateful because without, our sponsors, we don't exist. That is real. So if all of a sudden the sponsors go away, I'll go, hey, we had fun doing the podcast, love doing the interviews, love doing questions from the audience, but alas, there is no business, and so therefore there is no podcast. So if you're interested in being on the podcast, email me at tmccernan at insidestl.com. Like the podcast, uh, give it a five-star review, uh, and uh, that helps the cause, and subscribe to it. That helps the cause, and spread the word. Uh, if you haven't listened to the interviews, there are some really good interviews that are, you know, even from where we very began, uh, go back and listen to them. And I, I don't know how many times I get people email me, said I had a long drive and then I listened and then it's like, I didn't even realize this one was there. And then you go back and then you dig in. And that's how, for me, if I'm driving somewhere, if I'm working out or if I'm hitting golf balls, I just put in, you know, my earbuds and, and I'm listening to podcasts. So that is my official recommendation, whether it be my podcast or anybody else's. Uh, so I was talking about Mark Hanna. Uh, before I get to my first question, and I don't know about you, uh, but I screwed up my money management in my 20s and 30s, and candidly, I'm a little embarrassed by it because it's not like I didn't have people making suggestions or really just flat out trying to guide me. But it became a whole thing to do all sorts of paperwork. And if we're if we're talking about retirement, when you're in your 20s, it's like okay, that's 300 years away. Then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, you get in your 40s, and you're like, ah. What was I doing? I could have been paying off my condo that I bought, God, 17 years ago. Oh, that tilts me so badly that I screwed that up. It tilts me absolutely so irresponsible. I will certainly attempt, at the very least, to uh, put my son on the right path when it comes to that kind of stuff because I just screwed up. I could have been investing. I could have been paying off the condo. Uh, So here's the deal. I met with the guy last year. And he said, what are you doing putting your money in savings? I mean, I'm 40 years old here. And I said, I don't know. I thought that's what you're supposed to do. And he goes, maybe that's what you know, you're know you supposed to do when you're 10, but not when you're 40. You need someone who can help you figure this out. This is so important. I, I don't want to overstate any sponsor, and I don't want to understate any sponsor. It's tough. It's like Tony Lewis, oh, I mean, Todd for first. And there's a reason you say that because you don't want it to come off that you're overvaluing one era or a sponsor or another, you know, when you're talking about a baseball team or a baseball player or, in this case, a sponsor. But... This is really a service that I I really recommend because I can speak first person, how badly I screwed it up and how helpful it would have been to be dealing with Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies 20 years ago, uh, because he can help you figure out all of this in a way that makes it easy for you. I met with Mark and I was really impressed by not only his knowledge, but also his passion for helping everyday people build a strategy to get their financial goals. And also how simple it was. He opens up his iPad, shows you the numbers Shows you what you've got and shows you where you can be by managing your money the right way. And he cares so much, so sincere, just really like a good person. If you get in touch with him, he will be able to help you. It's that simple. His name is Mark Hanna. Give him a call at 314-889-0503 or check him out online at evergreenstl.com. It's Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, uh, our sponsor here. On questions from the audience. Now, I just put something up on the TMA fan page because I was about to sit down and record this, and I thought I had my questions for the day uh, that were sent via email. And now I got a bunch of new questions. So now, once again, we'll be doing QFTA on the fly. Let's see. As I'm talking, it is 10:38 on July 25th, uh, and um, and I'm planning on going no longer than a half hour. But as you might be used to by now, I wind up going super long, but I try to include uh, context. So I'm just going to go through an email here. I saved it for a reason. Cardinal question. Some people say you don't talk enough cardinals, and I, and I love talking cardinals, especially when there's like, I feel like there's something to talk about. And as, as we're talking, and I just mentioned it's July 25th, that means we're less than a week away from the trade deadline. This question comes up. Hey, Tim, been a huge fan of the show and the podcast uh, for a while now. Uh, now, I know you like to Keep these questions evergreen, but with the trade deadline coming up, I've got a short one for you. Doesn't Miles Michaelis make the most sense to move in the next week? Haven't heard much talk of him at all, but you'd be trading from a strength of pitching depth and finally selling high on an asset that only has one more year of control. It will be a nice change of pace from trading players at their lowest value. It's a very good question. Um, and I wasn't anticipating necessarily going on to the deep dive and the Cardinal So this is going to be done from memory and therefore, uh, Hopefully, it, I mean it'll come off like a can of conversation because like I'm opening up books and reading from articles or anything like that. Here is where I am on the Cardinals, and if they somehow turn it around and win the win the World Series, people can go back and mock this. This this much like the 2016 and 2017 team uh, is is not a championship team. Uh, so you can either say world championship or pennant winning team. It's it's not. Now, I always operate in probabilities, and I realize that that might come off as annoying. But it, therefore, it's not really absolutes. So what would the percentage be that I put that the Cardinals win the World Series in 2018? Some people might go zero. I'd go one. That's where I would be. One in 100. Uh, what are the chances they win the pennant? Uh, I would go, I guess, two and a half percent. That's that's how I view it, um, which I think is actually lower than I was in 16 and 17. Now, this gets to your question, Shane you're talking about pitching depth and you're talking about miles Michaelis. And therefore I gather, and since this was an email uh, and you kept it brief and I appreciate that uh, because that way I can read it for all of the listeners. I gather you're talking about pitchers such as uh, Carlos Martinez, Michael Waka, Alex Reyes amongst the other young pitchers that the Cardinals are high on or people around baseball are high on, whether it be people on the major league roster right now, uh, like uh, Weaver and Flaherty or the guys we've seen throw no hitters for the six, uh, first six, seven innings in Cincinnati this week, um, like uh, Gomber and Ponce de Leon, John Gant, haven't even seen Dakota Hudson yet. Uh, so so all of those pitchers, and then you're talking about Michaelis, and you're not looking at this year as a team that is going to win. And this prospect, who or not prospect, this pitcher who was an All Star just a couple of weeks ago, also is attractive. Could be more attractive because there is another year of control for a really team favorable deal. It is a great question. I like the question, and candidly, it's not something I had really thought about. The question I had posted on Twitter. Uh, following the Cardinals split of a doubleheader with the Cubs this past weekend was, would you consider trading Matt Carpenter? This was when he was in the midst of hitting home runs nearly every at bat. And the reason I asked that question was in part to gauge the fan base's mindset on the team. And then also it kind of, from my standpoint anyway, tells you about the way people think. Um, And I am of the opinion that in this circumstance, or any business circumstance, you do whatever you can to unload a commodity at its peak value if, and only if you do not view your prospects for championship contending to be particularly high. Uh, Now, I also recognize that some people disagree with that. And even though I know it's unpopular in 2018 to go, oh, you see it that way, I see it this way, and then just go on about our days without motherfucking each other uh, or dropping shade on Twitter or personal attack, I understand where you're coming from. Because who is to say that the Cardinals can't be championship contenders in 2019? And Matt Carpenter is under contract for a couple of more years. As mentioned by uh, the emailer, Shane, who is to say the Cardinals wouldn't be in a championship position and Miles Michaelis would have value in 2019? This, for me, though, is the primary position. And it is not an absolute. I, I don't know what absolutes there are when you're looking into the future unless you somehow have inside information on something that is rigged. Um, and that is the Cardinals are are in a repeat position of 2017 and they're in a repeat position of 2016. And one of the main reasons why they're in this repeat position where once again, a week out from the trade deadline, there is a debate amongst the fan base uh, as to whether or not they should be buyers or sellers. Although I would tell you this year, I feel like the vast majority is on the seller uh, perspective, is because they were in purgatory in 16 and then again in 17. Now, it's results-oriented to chastise the organization for not acting in 16 and not acting in 17. I wanted them to be sellers in 16, and I wanted them to be sellers in 17, but I understand why they weren't sellers in 16 and why they weren't sellers in 17. In 16, they were in the wild card race in July, and they were in it all the way up until the end of September. In 17, they were in the National League Central race, and they were all the way up until the end of September in this year's case as we're doing this broadcast right now technically they're in the wild card race although you'd be really hard-pressed to find many teams that aren't in the wild card race with the second wild card but they're not really in the national league central race because this organization perhaps more so than any other organization over the last 20 years has experienced the mathematical outlier that is 2006 and that is 2011, both World Championship seasons, both of which at this point in the season certainly did not feel like World Championship seasons, I sometimes wonder if the organization ownership front office gives more probability to a uh, unlikely outcome than it deserves because they experienced the unlikely outcome in 2006 and 2011. And so therefore, with the advent of the second wild card, uh, it increases the chances of being in the mix, but it also decreases the desire of the fan base often, and then perhaps an optimistic ownership group in selling. And that is why you've seen the Cardinals in this purgatory spot, because they're technically in it. But if you look at the team, the way they've performed, also who is healthy right now, which I think is important, uh do you really, can you honestly answer? Like, well, let me put it this way. Would you put a hundred dollars down on the Cardinals at, at 25 to one to win the world series? And if you, or whatever dollar value is of, 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 of a material consequence to you, you know? And my, my answer is no, uh, a hundred to one. Yeah, I would. That's where I was. One percent. You know, I would I'd be like, okay, fine. You know, I don't expect it, but you know, I, I suppose it could happen if, you know, all of a sudden Ponce de Leon and, um, Gomber or Cy Young candidates and Dexter Fowler starts hitting like he did, you know, a couple years ago, you know, and weird things happen. It's somebody, I mean, I don't know where the bullpen help comes from, but whatever, somehow it happens. Well, then you, you know, then you got a hundred to one, I get it. But, but from the trade deadline standpoint, I think it's time to turn the page. And I think it's important for it to be time to turn the page. And, and and I would have liked them to do it in sixteen and seventeen. I get why they didn't do it in sixteen and seventeen, but uh, therefore, from that standpoint, for me, for any veteran player that's on the major league roster, I, I, I'm open to trading them. Anybody, anybody, uh, and I realize that might be an extreme position, but you know this organization has been been so successful for so long. And I think then it gets you in a spot where you continue to repeat things uh, that may have allowed you to be successful in, in the first 15, 16 years of this uh, millennium, but might not be able to be uh, successful now or because other people have duplicated it and therefore you don't stand out anymore. And so it is time to make a change. The, the other element is there weren't a lot of people in February and March when we were down at spring training going, this is going to be a great Cardinal team. I think there might have spiked. In April, when first off they signed Greg Holland, that, you know, I know it's, you know, listen, you're, you're not alone if you're going, yeah, I was on board with that. 95% of the, the fan base was on board with that. But also they started off on a tear in April. Um, and then things changed. Injuries hit them and things changed. So that's what wound up happening. And now the organization is a spot where they're most likely not going to be in a position to uh, win, win a pennant. And so therefore you understand why. Uh, they would be apt to sell, but they have not sold in so long. And I can really only think of one year, 1998, where they were really sellers. uh, And they traded away Royce Clayton and Todd Stottlemyre for uh, Fernando Tatis and Darren Oliver. And even that wasn't like an all-out sell. So I'm hoping that they do that. I don't know if they actually will, but I'm hoping that they will. So once again, I'm in this weird spot in July Or I'm like, oh, good, the Cardinals won, but God, that probably doesn't help them do what I think is in the best interest of getting closer to a championship, which is selling. And so a Miles Michaelis move, while certainly not one that we've heard talked about much, Shane, uh, is one that I certainly would be on board for if you could get a big haul for it. Uh, I was of the opinion, and maybe it still could happen, that they were going to trade or at least try to trade Carlos Martinez. And, And that was met with when Derek Gould mentioned that on TMA with, you know, many people on Twitter stunned and upset about it. Uh, But there are teams who could really use a starter like Carlos Martinez, especially one with some control. So his oblique injury perhaps reduced that probability greatly. So maybe they would look at Michael's. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if the organization publicly is saying, you know, we think this is a playoff team and internally going, man, we've got to unload when we can. The nice thing is we only have to wait a few days and we will find out. Uh, what they really think because the trade deadline certainly will tell that story. So Shane, thank you for the question. There was a deep dive into uh, some Cardinal baseball and trade discussion. All right, let's go into the questions on the fan page. Got a bunch of them. Uh, And uh, let's see what we got. I will try to answer ones that I have, and I don't think I've answered before. I know you guys don't like getting into family on the show, but what do your significant others think about TMA? that's that's uh that's not um necessarily accurate i i can't speak for everybody else i'm comfortable uh talking about my family um you know i i i think i think if there is a, a kind of a rule so to speak uh you know kids are off limits under 18 off limits um i think that's not limited to our show i think that's somewhat universal you know if you're in politics uh, you'd like to think uh, the kids are under 18 years old, uh, and, or just not involved in the situation that they're kind of left alone. Um, so, you know, so Doug has three kids, but all three at this point are in their twenties. Uh, the cat has a son. Tyler is nine. If, uh, I am not mistaken, I think he turned nine this year. And then I have an 11 month old son. Um, but regarding my wife, uh, she loves the show. As a matter of fact, when I will uh, go upstairs and go into her bedroom, and she's, uh, you know, getting ready to go out or whatever the case might be. Uh, I hear her podcasting the show, so uh, she is a listener. Finds the show to be incredibly amusing. Finds the stuff I say to be incredibly creepy, but uh, she is on board with the uh, the program. Um, I know the Plow Hawks uh, girlfriend listens, uh, based on what he says. Uh, I believe Aaron, the cat's wife listens, uh, uh, Doug's wife, I don't know how much she listens, but I think that's in part because of, uh, her schedule, but she is, uh, incredibly friendly as is the cat's wife and just couldn't be two nicer people. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think for as weird as the show is, our families recognize the show is weird. And at least when it, it comes to me, uh, my wife knows that, you know. Yes, I, I absolutely do enjoy uh, stag films and the stag industry and find it fascinating. But she also knows if I'm not at home, I'm most likely either on the golf course or working out or up here at the radio station or the podcast studio. And that, you know, when it gets down to it, unfortunately, uh, that's, that's how I spend my time. Well, unfortunately, perhaps uh, in, in the eyes of the listeners who might think it's a lot more exciting uh, I spend my—that's t- how I spend my time in 2018. All right, what else do we have? What else do we have here? Uh, Matt asks, top five lessons learned as an entrepreneur. I'd love to hear about how you've made course corrections, found the determination, stumbled and recovered, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like I need—I—I want to give you a good answer on this, but. I just was reading these as we went, and so now I'm kind of I'd be ad-libbing. Uh, Ryan Kelly is our guest coming up on Mondays, and that's just his story. But in his story, you hear all kinds of lessons. I can tell you this because I, I do remember this, and I've kind of forgotten it now because it's been 13 years. It'll be 13 years on August 15th, 2018, since we started InsideSTL.com. 13 years. Um. Inside STL Enterprises, I guess to be exact, because insidestl.com right now is really just a place where we host the morning after's audio. Uh, So, Inside STL Enterprises owns the morning after and the show content, the current content, the past content, and the future content. So, with that all said, um, when we were dealing with weird stuff with radio management, when I started the stage, I started uh, insidestl.com in 2005. So, you're talking about, you know, like four ownership groups ago. Uh, might be more actually. I remember recognizing things that they did that really upset the employees. And they were unnecessary. They're, they'd be called unforced errors if this were a, a game or a competition. They're, they're just unnecessary. And so I remember thinking, I see these things, and I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I, I don't even have a degree, I'm eight hours shy of a journalism degree. Uh, it's not, it's because I went and started my TV career that I didn't graduate, but you know, whatever people like to use that as a shot as if I fucking care at this point, but whatever, if it makes you feel better about yourself. Fine. Uh, so I, you know, it's not like I've run a business. I don't have an MBA. I don't even have a a business degree. I, I, a journalism degree. I mean, you know, it's not exactly the path to, to starting a business. So I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I recognized things that would be done that would really piss people off. And so I thought to myself, you know, if this thing that I'm starting, which wasn't supposed to be a business, it was supposed to be something to kill time while I had a non-compete in television, you know, if this business gets going, I will make sure I never do, or I try not to do, because to say never, I'm sure I fucked up, but to try not to do, to be cognizant of the things that irritate employees and to therefore not do them some examples. I'm sure you would want some examples, things that stood out to me at that time that I still to this day try not to do. And and for the most part, I'm, I'm pretty confident that the people who work with me would say that, yeah, that's, he doesn't do this, uh, emails, uh, emails, long emails in general. Um, and I guess a lot of you listening to this deal with this stuff. And I, and that's not to say that, you know, it's unheard of for us either, but, uh, long emails in particular sent on a Friday afternoon. Um, will just destroy, can, can destroy a weekend. And, uh, and I saw that happening, you know, 12, 13 years ago. And I remember how upset I, I would be, uh, much less just, you know, the, the, the people I was working with. And you're just going, what was the point of that? Almost to the point of, is it done intentionally? But then if it is done intentionally, you have to play out the hand. I mean, you can just go, "Oh, well, he's an asshole and then end it. But I mean, are we really, are we really digging deep enough to try and to get what the point was there? So I don't, I don't think it's done intentionally because someone is an asshole. I think it's a lack of either or a combination of self-awareness and or empathy. Uh, and I realize empathy is like a bad word in certain corners of the, the world right now. Uh, but, I mean, it, it, it gets back to treat others how you want to be treated. And, and, and so I hated that, and I knew I didn't want to do that, and so therefore I didn't want to do that with the people with whom I worked or, as I guess the technical term would be, who worked for me. But I'm uncomfortable saying that not because I'm some fucking hero. I just am uncomfortable with it in general. So whatever. It's probably a weakness that I don't like to say it, but that's the truth. So that's one thing. Uh, I don't like. I really fucking hate. I don't care who it's from. Uh, a phone call out of nowhere, especially in 2018. So the way I try to handle things now, and even back then, was to text, "Hey, unless it's unless it's an absolute emergency." Of course, it's a different ball game. Uh, hey, whenever you have a chance, give me a call, or to schedule a time to call, because. You know, now you can say, well, back in my day, and that's fine. But the circumstances were different, that you would get phone calls. That was psychologically, that was a part of your expectation of day-to-day life. Psychologically now, especially for a certain age bracket and younger, that's not the way that it works. First off, some people just flat out don't like to talk on the phone. I, it's not that I don't like to talk on the phone. I don't like to get sniped. Uh, like, I'm just sitting around. I could be with my family. I could be working on something, and all of a sudden you get a phone call, and it feels intrusive, even though it's not necessarily intrusive, but it feels intrusive, and so I'm cognizant of that, and so therefore, because I know that it irritates me, and I know that it irritates others with whom I work, that I try not to do it. So what I will do, especially if I need to get on the phone with somebody say, hey, Whenever you have a minute, give me a call. And so, therefore, it's on their time, and I've already put the invitation out there. And so, when the thing lights up, and I see it's whomever calling me, I'm expecting that phone call. Um, and and I guess some of you might go, well, these are really minute things, but if if done right, then people are happy working with you, and then you wind up working with the same people. Like for, I mean, shit, look at the morning aftercast. Doug and the cat and I have worked together. Uh, The Cat and I have worked together since 2004. Doug and I started working at KMOV in 2000, but we've worked on the show together since 2007. Uh, Iggy has been a part of it now for a few years. The plow has been a part of it for a few years. uh, Before uh, leaving, the Seamaster was a part of it, I think, for four years. Before that, um, you know, I think we had a grand total of two producers for a show that at this point is is, uh, 14 years old. Wow, 14 years old. Yeah, it is. Uh, So you know, that's an element of it. Now, from a business standpoint, like if you're like, yeah, I don't really care about feelings. Hey, that might be a good thing. From a business standpoint, one of the things that I try to do, even if it actually is at at my expense, is if I say we're going to do something, we do it. And I'm not talking about just with the people with whom I work. I'm talking about with the people who, in our case, are our customers, and that's the listeners. Uh, Now, sometimes things can change. And if they do change, I would like to try to make it as uh, transparent as possible. Sometimes you can't be because you'd be embarrassing somebody or the information might be financial and that can't be public. Uh, but you try to, exp- you try to show the work as they said in math class, you know, here, here's, here's what X equals. Okay. That's, that's one way to do it. Here's what X equals. And here's how I came to the conclusion that X equals this. And And people might be bored by it, but, from my standpoint, especially, and I did this, and I remember my dad would cringe uh, when he was our handling sales for us uh, at Inside STL because I would go into numbers, and I think coming from where he came from, you know, and working in the '60s, '70s, '80s, '90s, the aughts, that you know, the person who's the, the majority of the business, the owner, the president of the business, sitting there and going through numbers with people who you know, I guess supposedly aren't privy to them or shouldn't be or whatever the perspective is, that just was unheard of. And it might be wrong. I'm not saying that it's right. I'm just telling you this is what I did. And I would continue to do it because it explains it because usually decisions in business are based on numbers. Now, for whatever reason, with regard to radio in St. Louis, it's portrayed as personal. And then it becomes like this you know, low rent version of, of personal warfare of like boardwalk empire for nitwits. But, but it's usually, usually, usually math. And you can say, well, why'd you get rid of this show? Or why'd you get rid of that show? Or how come you're not bringing this person? And it always comes down to math, just like any other business, but the math isn't public. And so it's an awkward spot. I seriously, I don't know if the time will come where I'm ever operating a station again, uh, or our podcast business or whatever the case might be. And I've honestly, I've talked about this with people who I, you know, are like advisors to me, just putting the numbers up. Like, here's what this show is bringing in with advertising revenue. Here's what this show is bringing with advertising, Cause that's like putting up the batting average in the ERA and the wins above replacement. So when you get sent down to Memphis, you have the numbers and you can sit there and you can piss and moan and, and be passive aggressive on Twitter and, you know, have the 10 people who like your show jerk you off with likes. But deep down, you'll go well. Fuck, nobody was buying our show, and that's what it, that's what matters, and that's reality. That might come off as harsh, but if you opened up a restaurant and nobody showed up, you wouldn't go, "Man, I got fucked on this deal." You go, "Well, I guess our restaurant didn't work for one reason or another," and then you got to lick internally. So, to me, I think um, I went the right way but from the outset, training people's minds to think dollars as opposed to, oh, I'll be down at Bush Stadium getting you sound or I'll be down at the Enterprise Center getting you sound or, you know, I'll tweet this out. That's great. But we can't pay bills with tweets. We can't pay bills with you going and getting sound at Bush Stadium, which from my standpoint doesn't have much value, especially with all the outlets to get it anyway. I think a lot of people just like to hang out at Bush Stadium. And hey, I did too when I was 21. It was great. But it's business and it can come off as harsh. But if, if I'm transparent with the people who work with me and explain that this is this is the language that we speak, this is how it has to operate, so think this way, and you're welcome to come in and ask questions, you're welcome to get on the phone with me, as long as you text first, uh, and, and ask questions, and I will tell you, and I'll spend all day on it, because it's not, it's not like it's some black magic, it's real simple, it's math, and the math is not a subjective piece of data, it is objective, and I think that is helpful. Now there might be people who are running businesses that are making, you know, an incredibly, you know, infinitely more revenue than anything I've ever been associated with going, yeah, that's fucking dumb. And here's why. And you might be right. And also, you know, you know, we're talking about with inside STL, small business. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not under the impression here, I'm running entercom or something like that. Uh, but I'm just telling you from that standpoint, those, those elements, um, those are the three that stand out to me. And if I just stretch it to five, I'd probably be making two things up or I'm not thinking of to get to five. And I don't want to do that. So those are three that stand out to me. Uh, don't do the shit that was done to us that we hated. And that's kind of easy. It's like, Oh, they did that. Everybody hated that. Everybody hated them. They lost millions of dollars. We will not do that. That's easy. That, that would be, that would be moronic to repeat. Uh, and cause we saw it firsthand 12, 13 years ago. And then, um, you know, I mean, you can never go wrong with the treating others how you want to be treated thing. Um, you know, I mean, you try to. You obviously, at least, if you do, always succeed. God bless. But if that can kind of be, and then also tweet their own unless it impacts you. You need know, you pick your battle. Another one, pick your battles. Because there are some things you see and you're like, oh, I wish he wouldn't have said that on Twitter. I wish he wouldn't have said that on the radio. Or I wish, you know, I know the person skipping out from work early, but making up that they have a sales call. You, 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 you know, you know these things. But then if you, if you start policing every single one of them, you pick your spots. Now, that, of course, is arbitrary, and that leaves you open to accusations of being inconsistent. But I think if at the forefront is don't do the dumb shit that was done to you beforehand that you hated and also treat others how you want to be treated. And then the final one that I was talking about, being transparent with your people and explaining the importance of the math, i.e. the dollars and how we get to the dollars, I would think that— uh, you're for the most part going to have a good workplace with very little turnover. Now in our business, some positions just don't pay well. And so like, you know, I mean, producer Joe, for example, five years ago, when he left the show or the non-gay when he left the show or recently the sea monster, you know, it, it can get to a point where it's like, yeah, I, I enjoy doing it, but I'm looking ahead now, now that I'm in my thirties, I think that was the case. Well, the non-gay was always going to law school, but producer Joe on the sea master And you're going, yeah, I probably got to do something where I, I feel like I can make more. And, and I would never, nor did I, would I, would I ever fault anybody for wanting to improve their, their livelihood um, and their prospects or just feeling like, you know what, I'm tired of getting up at 3.30 in the morning. I get it all. So that's also an important, you know, element to establish inside, you know? So, you know, when you listen to Ryan Kelly and he's going more into detail on the the thought process and the, the mortgage industry and what he saw, there's a lot of the business side. Mine more is cultural in the sense of a, a good workplace because the business side of it, you know, those are things that in this industry you can teach or when it comes to programming, it's really kind of a, you have the talent or you don't, you have the audience or you don't, you have the clients who will follow you anywhere or you don't. So it's culture on in this industry. Uh, initiative, you recognize, you want to bring those kinds of people in. It really starts with with the person doing the hiring. So if there's a bad hire, I got nowhere to point the finger but myself if I'm the one doing the hire, you know. So you know, I fuck that up. I fuck that up. I can bitch about the person all day long, but if I let them into the room, you know, I let them into the room, and that's on me. So hopefully that gives some perspective and perhaps more on culture than actual, you know, X's and O's, so to speak, regarding uh, business. Let's see what else we have here. Private high school versus public high school. Is it worth the cost? What did you get from your private high school experience that helps you today? This is a, this is a first one. I, I didn't go to a public high school. I went to a public university, university of Missouri. So I can't really speak to it. I also know it's a hyper, it can be, it can be a hypersensitive topic. Uh, and I don't think, and again, I can only speak to the one high school I've gone to, uh, so I don't think it's as simple as, oh, private versus public. I think it depends on which private school you're talking about. It depends on what public school you're talking about. And at the forefront, it, it depends on your your home's situation, your parent, your parents, your family's situation, how many brothers and sisters you have, what the, the income level is, what school district you're in. So the whole thing with high schools in St. Louis is that, you, know, you know, just to go kind of behind the scenes, I may have said this on a question from the audience before. I may not have. I don't know you know, to, to come out of character, so to speak. You know, when I say I went to St. Louis, U. high, I don't have to do manual labor. It is, I hope everybody recognizes a joke, uh, playing to the stereotypes that some have regarding high schools. I mean, some of my best hires, as a matter of fact, I'm thinking of some of my best hires, uh, in the, in the 13 years of inside STL went to public high schools As if that should be a groundbreaking fucking statement, by the way. Oh, it's like, oh, wow. Even the public school kids could do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's such a blah statement. Uh, like it's a nauseating statement, but just for the record. So people know where I am on this stuff. It's a, we, we, we make light of it because of the stereotypes associated with it. Now, plenty of people, uh, not many, of course, but plenty of people went to St. Louis who high who aren't, you know, who, who, who fucked up or aren't, you know, killing it or whatever the case might be. So it's not like it's an automatic ticket to riches, but I will say this, and I can only speak to St. Louis university high school. Um, for whatever reason, and candidly, I have no idea why. And again, I went there from 1990 to 1994. Now my brother teaches, uh, improv there. Uh, he owns the improv shop, uh, just to the east of the Grove. And uh, so, I mean, he can speak to it much better than I can now, Kevin. But uh, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, it wasn't necessarily all about the academic curriculum. Because I mean, what do you know? I mean, at that point, you're 14 years old. And by what do you know? I mean, what do I know at 14 years old? So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know how strong the curriculum was or the, the study habits. To me, it didn't seem like it was incredibly hard. I guess that's something that some people say. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I mean, again, it's just uh, so much depends on your home situation and some people's good fortune on that. So that's why when people mock certain things, it's like, you know, and I was one of the people who used to do it. So now I look back on that and I'm not talking, I'm not talking, by the way, high school so much as like, you know, whatever, just certain situations that now that you're older, I'm older. And I go, oh, what a fucking asshole! Because you don't know what that situation is. You know, you know where you can mock is if somebody's just a complete dick, especially if the person has like kind of everything lined up for them, and then they fuck with people or they treat people like shit. Uh, you know, that's that's you know. But if somebody's like, oh well, look at you know him or her, and they're three hundred something pounds. Well, you know, they might not be in a position because they're working fourteen hours a day to support their family. Uh, where they can, you know, get metabolic meals sent to their house, like I've been lucky enough to have, or, you know, they have to, whatever the case, but they don't have time to work out, whatever, but you don't know. And so just, you know, from my standpoint, I just need to keep my mouth shut. And that's how I look at the high school thing. Cause you don't know, and, you know, and here, candidly for me with St. Louis, U high, you know, it's, it's a Catholic school. Now I was born and raised Catholic. Uh, my wife is Lutheran. Um, we, at this moment, and we've been discussing it before, we, for our, if our son winds up being religious, then great. God bless him. But if he does, it will be because he arrived there on his own. We're not escorting him there, or I don't even know if escorting, or telling him to be as the case can be. That is perhaps one of the most important things to us as parents, is to not uh, engage in dogma. For us, other people might be listening to this and going, oh my God, you fucking heathen. Fuck you. All while, you know, motherfucking other people who are parts of different religions, somehow conveniently. Uh, if, if you are Christian, if you are Jewish, if you are Muslim, if you are Buddhist, if you are atheist, if you are agnostic, whatever, God bless to each their own. Um, but for me, uh, you know, the high school thing, if we're talking about positives, negatives, whatever the case might be, the religion thing is something that that we're cognizant of. Now, it's a, it's a decision that's 14 years away. I actually thought the theology classes at St. Louis U High were incredibly healthy because uh, they taught you to approach religion with critical thought. And I have said a number of times, and I will say again, and I'm sure I will say later, I recall going into St. Louis U High in 1990 and thinking to myself, in like freshman year theology, I can't imagine anybody not believing in God, and I specifically remember my senior year, and I can picture where I was in both classes. Why, I don't know, but I can remember picturing it. Uh, I can't imagine how anybody does believe in God, and it was not because I started listening to some kind of music or movies or hanging around uh, 'er ne'er-do-wells or anything like that, candidly, it was the critical thought, not just in theology, but as a whole. And and that's, that's part of the Jesuit education is to teach you to challenge yourself and the thoughts that you have, which I think is healthy. Some might not think it's healthy. And if you don't, that's fine. You are welcome to send me an email and tell me how wrong I am. And it's fine. I would never send you an email to tell you how wrong it is that you are, whatever religion you are, because I'm not sure. My p- perspective on it is more about seeing the hijacking of certain religions, then used for political or power purposes in either elections or just to rule particular countries. And that's what makes me uncomfortable with it. So, uh, you know, and then and also using it to justify somehow discriminating against groups of people, which is just, it's, it's, it's disgusting to me. And I, I can't support that. And I won't support it. But the theology that we experienced at Saint Louis High, again, we're talking about the 1990s. Certainly wasn't like now. If you turn to this page here, this justifies doing this to these people or keeping these people out of this operation. You know, there wasn't that. It was, it was a lot of thought. It was almost like poker, you know, in the sense that you were thinking about it so deeply. Uh, And I don't know if that's going on there now or not. Uh, So that's something that that we consider. Um, I think, I think. The element of teaching critical thought or how to think critically, I can only speak to that place. And it's not to say, of course, that it doesn't go on elsewhere, uh, because I'm sure it does. Number of girls schools number of boys schools and certainly a number of public schools. That was the thing that, from my standpoint, we got the most value out of. And so, you know, when I got to the University of Missouri, I mean, it was it, it wasn't it was just wasn't very difficult. But again, you know, that's 1994. So, I mean, we're talking about like just two eras removed. Uh, And also, I can't speak to public high school one way or the other. My wife went to Marquette and she's an incredibly intelligent woman. I mean, hell, she's got two degrees. I'm sitting here with nothing. So uh, I hope that answers the question. I don't even know if it does, but it kind of gives you my thought process on it. All right, let me see uh, what we've got here. I want to... Uh, answer as well as I can. Uh, if you were elected mayor of St. Louis, what would be the first three initiatives you would take on and why? Okay. Well, I live in Kirkwood. So, uh, Danny, uh, great question. Um, I, I don't, you know, although I did grow up in the city and I love the city and I specifically the neighborhood I grew up in St. Louis Hills, Tam Avenue, uh, that I would, I would, I would definitely move back to the city. i love it, but we love Kirkwood too. So anyway, uh, I'm not eligible. That's the point. Also, I would imagine if I were to run, uh, that opponents would point to like excerpts from the show, uh, and go, look, he's a horrible person or, Oh, he likes pornography or he talks about sex. And that would be like, Oh, can't vote for him. And I get that. So therefore I don't really know how electable I am. Now, let's pretend like I am electable and answer your question. A number one, and this, this would immediately actually make me uh, lose, I think, but I'm being honest, you asked the question, and since I don't believe I'm running, uh, I will uh, answer the question. A number one, race. A number one, because A number one then goes into number two because it, it gets into the same thing, which is the city and county element because both are dividing our region and are precluding us from getting back to where St. Louis once was. Now, there are some circumstances that are out of St. Louis's control uh, that will not allow St. Louis to uh, return to being you know, the New York City of the Midwest or something along those lines that it may have been 100-plus years ago, uh, but also it doesn't need to be uh, heading in the direction or with the self-esteem that many have for it uh, as it does now. So how, so you, okay. So anybody can say, well, we have a racial problem. Okay. Now to the next thing. Well, how, how would I handle that? Because how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you fix a racial problem? Well, I, I it's not like I'm sitting here going, oh, I, I'm glad you asked because I have the solution as I sit here on my podcast. That's not real, but what is real is the problem. And to act like it's not is disingenuous. And then it continues. So I'm not if someone, whether they be African-American or whether they be a white guy, white woman, whatever the case might be, if you dislike somebody or think less of somebody solely because of their race, I, I don't really think I'm I don't think I'm going to be able to, as mayor, change your mind. So those aren't necessarily the people that I'm looking to bring to the tent. If they want to vote for me, they're more than welcome to vote for me, but I'm probably not going to reach them. And what I'm telling you is somebody who grew up in the city of St. Louis and in South St. Louis, of course, uh, because you have the the white side and you have the black side, and that actually somehow is still going on uh, for the most part uh, in 2018, uh, even though certainly there are neighborhoods in the city where it's much less than what it used to be. But I would spend so much time, I would probably spend more time on the north side than I would on the south side. And I might not get the votes of many people on the north side. I don't know. But if I did get elected, it doesn't matter if they voted for me or if they didn't. I have to make sure that I take the best care of every neighborhood I can as possible for the best interests of the region. And that doesn't mean just taking care of the base that got me elected. And so I don't know what it's like to grow up in North St. Louis. I don't know what it's like to um, experience many of the problems that people in North St. Louis experience. And therefore, if I don't know the problems, then I sure as hell can't come up with the solutions. So it's important to hear about them, hear from the people who actually experience it, what their solutions are and what their problems are. But that isn't limited to North St. Louis. It also would include South St. Louis. But so often I feel like with mayoral races in St. Louis over the past few decades, you have the white candidate and you have the black candidate. And then, you know, which, you know, then you look at the map of where the vote's for, and you're like, okay, the white candidate got South St. Louis, the black candidate got North St. Louis, and then away we go, and we're still divided and going nowhere. And that is why that is of the utmost importance to me. Um, it, it, and it's, it's the exact, in 1992 or three, I ran for student council president in St. U. High, and that was my platform, which if I had a campaign strategist, they'd go, well, that's that's great. You're talking about the uh, the problems of African-American students at St. Louis U high. So you're talking to about, you know, 30 people. Uh, so I'm considering there's a thousand, I'm not quite sure that's going to get you over the top, but it's how I felt. It's what I believed then and applying it now to our region. It's what I believe now. And I'm sure many of you are listening to this and going, well, go fuck yourself. Uh, and that's fine, but that's, that's what I see. That's how I feel. And I'm not looking to necessarily change hearts and minds because I don't know how one can, can really do that. You can promise to do it, but you're probably not going to deliver. So then you're going to under-promise and piss off your people for the next election. But to just do it by action and then try to understand and then try to then implement strategies to put the best foot forward for the region. And I'm not talking about just the north side or the south side. I'm talking about the region, which then gets me to number two, which is— Uh, the city county element. And to me, that just has to change. That has to be fixed. Uh, In the upcoming uh, episode with Ryan Kelly, he talks about his choice to expand his business uh, in uh, Indianapolis and in Nashville. And on his own, it's not like I was sitting there going, hey, what's your take on city county? He brought up why those two cities are surging here over the last X amount of years. And he specifically cited the city county element that they got rid of uh, in Indianapolis and in Nashville, and that's something that you know that, that that's 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 the issue uh, that I would fall on my sword for because I believe it to be necessary. And uh, however we get there, whether that means St. Louis City becomes part of St. Louis County, um, that however it, it's accomplished, that to me is a necessity. And I believe if one and two can be improved because I don't think we can call one accomplished. And by one, I mean the race relations, but improved. uh, And the whole community feeling like they're all in with the administration. Uh, And then we take care of number two, which is the city and county element. That gets me to number three, which is a lack of young college graduates and or young people in general wanting to live here or if they are feeling great about it. I've observed this going back to when I was the recent near college graduate uh, in 1998. And 20 years later, it is still going on. And, you know, candidly, I, I, I don't know why it is. I can theorize one of the theories would be jobs, would be opportunities. So that would just be that would stand a reason, but that's why I think helping with number one, issue number one, and helping with issue number two uh, can help tend to that. Uh, because if you have an urban core, uh, then that's where oftentimes people in their 20s and 30s without kids want to live, where they're within walking distance, feeling safe to restaurants and bars and variety of attractions uh, where they can live, which I know is the goal of Ballpark Village in the second phase. It's certainly what we had for a time period on Washington Avenue. Uh, And I'm not speaking about this from afar. My wife and I lived on Washington Avenue, and then we lived at Park Pacific for a year, so we were down there. Uh, We saw it in its best, and we saw it as it started to trend down to, unfortunately, where it is now, which is certainly not what it was a decade ago. Um, But it's about focusing on—I don't want to say focusing on, because then it makes it sound like it's a solitary issue— but initiatives to build a young professional core in St. Louis. And I think it's happening to an extent with startups and some of the tech companies. But I think a lot of times what we have happened is St. Louis is like a triple A team for Dallas or for Chicago or for now Indianapolis, Nashville, Miami, New York, L.A., Denver, whatever. So it's not a case of going... Well, we don't have the people. We have the people. Oftentimes, the people leave right after they graduate college. And then there is the St. Louis cycle. They leave. They go to live in Lincoln Park for a decade, uh, you know, make some money, in, enjoy uh, promiscuous sex, which is wonderful, and then go, okay, now it's time to settle down. Uh, and and then they get married uh, and, and then start a family here. But we are losing visionaries uh, for our area who are young and fresh out of college to other markets. And so that's another element that I see that I, I don't feel like it's talked about all that often. I, I know a lot of you are aware of it. A lot, hell, a lot of you listening to this might be one of the people I'm talking about. And, and I think that is an incredibly important thing. And so that's why I was so excited when I interviewed Jack Buck in 2001 uh, at his home, and he talked about the need for a new ballpark, not because Bush Stadium 2 was turning into, you know, like the Oakland Coliseum, but because the goal of the ownership group was to play a role. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure they were making money. Don't we all want to make money, though? But I'm sure the goal of the ownership group was to, in addition to making money, build residential components of Ballpark Village so as to help fuel a rebirth on the south end of downtown because the north end of downtown, i.e. Washington Avenue, wasn't really, was starting to happen, but it didn't, it wasn't happening to the level that it eventually did a few years later. And we're talking about, again, 2001 was when I did this interview with Jack Buck. And that's why I was so bullish on it. I saw what had happened, for example, in Denver, at course, with Coors Field and wanted to see the same thing. Cleveland has had it happen Uh, I wanted to see the same thing happen. And I still believe that that can happen. Uh, So those are, those are the three that I would build my uh, campaign around. And, uh, and I don't know, I mean, if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. I personally, as a lifelong St. Louisan who only has left the city uh, to go to uh, school at the University of Missouri and my nine months of my first television job in Little Rock, That's what I see. And that's somebody who's grown up in the city, who still spends a lot of time in the city because my parents still live there. Uh, One of my brothers lives there. I always, you know, I like to go into the city for dinner, hanging out, whatever the case might be. Love the St. Gabriel Parish and the St. Gabriel School picnics. Love the city. Love the region. Disappointed with feeling like the self-esteem of the region is low. Those are the three that I would lead my campaign with. Um, But like I said... I'm comfortable, uh, with sex and therefore, uh, and also agnostic. And so therefore I am unelectable, but that's, that's, that's what I would do, uh, if I were uh, mayor. So hopefully that answers your question. There it is. Questions from the audience. Another one in the book. Thank you for your questions. You're always welcome to ask more team McKernan at inside And you are always welcome to send feedback at team McKernan at inside I enjoy interacting with the audience. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, Ryan Kelly. Thank you to our sponsors, uh, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategy. How about James Carlton of the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency? 314-961-5800-314-961-5800 314-961-5800, or online at carltoninsurance.net. James Carlton, does he ever know this industry? Does James Carlton ever know? handle customer service better than anybody I've ever seen in the insurance agency uh, business. James Carlton has reviews on Facebook and Google that you wouldn't believe people are so excited about. It. And and first when he was telling me about him I'm like, "Okay, I guess these are probably like your friends writing stuff." And now that I've dealt with him, I'm like, "This is so easy to talk about him on the show because I know what he does and god, I'm so grateful I met him because I've had plenty of things pop up where I have questions. It's like, I'll ask James and I get an answer. And I'm like, Well, I thought this was going to be a big headache with all kinds of paperwork getting sent to me, and that took care of that in like 30 seconds. That's what you can have. They do all the work for you. James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, 314-961-4800. And, of course, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet online at Landoff.com, and you can find them at Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth exit, all kinds of pre-owned cars, and, of course, an incredible selection of Chevys there uh, at uh, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet and the service department. My wife got her car. That's where I recommend you get your car. Support the sponsors. Ryan Kelly, the home loan Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent. And Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet. Always enjoy questions from the audience with you. Uh, and always enjoy our guests coming up. Courtney Bryant of KMOV. Uh, coming up, Ryan Kelly. Coming up, Mike Shannon. This week, Rich Gould. Last week, Joe Buck. The week before that. Uh, I believe we had Governor Jay Nixon on. It's been a a great run. We want to keep it going. If you're interested in being a part of it, email me at Tim McKernan at insidestl.com. As always, thank you to the listeners. Thank you to the sponsors. Thank you to Iggy for producing. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the homelonexpert.com studios.